Welcome back, everybody, to the Second Floor Podcast. This is where we talk about how to survive, how to thrive, and keep the good vibes going in life and business. Today's guest, well, um, our conversation was was amazing. We talked everything to do with mental health, the struggles behind mental health, the stigma behind mental health. This is someone who has been in the fitness industry for over 15 years, uh, is a serial entrepreneur, and has recently founded the Mental Wealth Project. Um, This is essentially a project to build mental health awareness across the globe. And it started right here from Edmonton. Kaylor Betts is is the guy. He is incredible. I mean, we had this conversation and uh, I took a lot of value from it, especially from, you know, the ups and downs of life, you know, figuring out um, kind of your journey and, and kind of what you kind of go through as, as life moves on. And we talk a lot in detail about how he's gone through his journey in terms of being an entrepreneur, the struggles and the things he's gone through in his own mental mental health. And I feel like this episode is gonna bring you guys a lot of value. Uh, if you know someone who's, who's struggling with their mental health, um, if you're someone who's gone through uh, ups and downs in your own mental health, this is, uh, this is a great episode to, to tune into. So uh, I'm gonna keep that short and sweet. Uh, definitely check out the Mental Wealth Project. Definitely check out Kaylor Betts and uh, here we go. Kaylor, man, I appreciate you coming. Thanks, man. This is uh, this was supposed to happen a while back. Yeah. And uh, we finally have you on. And yeah. um, I love what you're doing. Thank and you. I want to kind of speak on it, mm. kind of dive in. I know we kind of went on a ramble for a little bit beforehand. So kind of tell us what you've been up to and what's what's been going on. <sighs> yeah, like lately. Yeah. <laughs> Lately, I have been on a pursuit of what I've realized is my passion, and that's mental health, man, changing the face of mental health on this planet, really. And um, it comes from my own struggles. I I struggled for many years with uh, mental health challenges. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool to be able to get into something, you know, I've, I've chased, I've built businesses in the past, I've you know, been an athlete in the past. And, you know, I've always been on this pursuit of growth and achievement, but it's always come from a place of fear of failure, you know, insecurity, trying to prove my worth to everyone, trying to prove that, you know, I'm worthy in this world. Um, Mostly because I didn't graduate high school. So the system that told me, you know, or the system that is essentially uh, what we sorry, the, the system that we use to determine success told me that I was a failure. Uh, so right from then on, I was insecure about my intelligence and my, you know, potential and worthiness and all that stuff. So I got on this path of, you know, really trying to achieve a ton of things based on that insecurity. And I really struggled with that. And it's so nice to now transitioning into the mental health space to just be doing something that, you know, I'm still trying to achieve. I'm still trying to grow. I'm still trying to get to that next level. I'll always have that in me, but it's coming from a place of like service of genuinely wanting to help people, you know, and, um, and not worrying about what level I'm getting to or anything like that. And like I said, don't get me wrong. I want to, I have 
I have large ambitions, but it feels good to be doing something that, yeah, just comes from the right place and it's, you know, genuine passion. So you asked me what I'm up to lately. I'm, um, I'm doing a, a couple of big thing, bigger things uh, for me. I'm, um, first off I'm coaching and I, I've been a coach for many years, started off as a fitness and nutrition coach. Now I'm more so kind of flipped that on its head and I'm doing a little bit of fitness and nutrition still. Um, but mostly working on the mindset side of things, the transformational side of things, helping people and taking them from where I was being barely able to get out of bed and, um, you know, function normally to where I'm at now, which is, you know, feeling pretty incredible. Um, and, uh, helping people through that. Uh, and then I'm also building the mental wealth project, uh, which is, uh, our mission of the mental wealth project is to become the number one online resource and community in the mental health space. Uh, I feel like there's a void in the mental health space. There's, um, there's a lot of, not even a lot. There's a few bigger organizations in mental health that are kind of formal and conventional and pretty serious and uh, which I think is needed, but they're kind of talking to you from like up here and you're down here yeah. as someone who suffers from mental health. And, you know, we kind of want to be the opposite. We feel like there's a void of, we want to be the organization of mental health that has a personality that speaks to you on your level, like eye to eye and mental health is really real and raw. So, you know, we also want to, um, we want to show up like how people show up every day in mental health. It's a little bit scrappy it's a little bit you know it's up it's down there's personality to it and uh, we feel that people are going to relate to that more and be able to um buy into it a little more you know so i'm building that we got a, a i got a team there's seven of us and um we are going to achieve that mission through a few different ways number one is we have our social platform so we got our you know instagram facebook we got um getting into other branching out but we're mostly active on instagram and facebook right now uh we got our podcast mental wealth podcast that uh, launched a couple weeks ago that's uh uh really seems to be resonating with people already we got seven episodes and more to come one one every week we got our mental wealth weekly which is a email newsletter that you know just gives people anything and everything they want to know about mental health and how to achieve mental wealth uh, it could be a new app. It could be a new product in mental health. It could be a TED talk that we saw. It could be anything. So, uh, so that's going to go out weekly. Um, and then we got plans to do a, a Facebook community as well, too. And we're just a content hub. We're a place where people can come and feel comfortable to open up and share their story, um, which we've had many people from around the world share their story already. Um, some incredible people who share their story about what they've been through and and uh, takes a lot of courage so that, you know, someone across the world can go to our platforms and see like, you know, because the only way we're going to end the stigma, which is a big part of our mission, is if people open up, you know, you can hashtag mental health awareness all, all day long. And I think that's needed and it's necessary. But until people actually come out and share their story, 
I don't think the stigma is going anywhere because then it doesn't become normalized. Um, there's still the stigma instead of just hiding, hiding behind a hashtag, you know, uh, even like, you know, I don't want to be critical of Bell Let's Talk because I think that's an amazing campaign. But again, I think there's just more that needs to be done. So we're trying to be that that uh, safe place, that platform where people can go and finally share their story and connect with someone across the world who suffers from the same thing that they suffer with um, and, and provide resources as well too. We got professionals on the podcast talking about what they you can do to achieve mental wealth and uh, overcome mental health challenges and stuff. So, you know, we're, we're still in our infancy and who knows where we'll go with it. Eventually it's a marathon, but um, it's been exciting so far. Yeah. I really like what you're doing, man. I think, you. Uh, you know, this whole mental health awareness has obviously been popularized the last little while. Mm-hmm. Why did, why is mental health such an important thing for you? I know we touched base a little bit before the podcast, but I want you to share it because I think it's very important. I know some of our listeners either know someone or are going through something. So maybe yeah. share something why you decided to get into this space quite heavily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like the two reasons. Number one is um, I suffered in silence for most of my life you would not catch me for many, many years. Like, you know, I guess I even like 25 years, I'm 30 now, I would say 25 years of my life, you would never catch me telling anyone other than maybe one person on this planet, which is my mom. Um, Even the people closest to me, you wouldn't have caught me telling them that I suffer from, you know, mental health challenges because it's the number one source of shame that people who suffer usually have and um it's just not something you want to go out and tell people you know especially because i had a good life you know we talked about before like no one's making a movie about my past it was just a pretty you know middle class family like you know i didn't uh, my my dad didn't leave me or i didn't have like you know a near-death experience or you know whatever nothing crazy really happened i had a circumstantially i had a pretty good life i was an athlete i was you know the guy who always who was told he had potential and but um my mental health challenges always got in the way so it was always a big source of shame and never wanted to open up about it and that's exhausting dude like to suffer you know your entire life and get in your own way and suffer from depression and anxiety and and mental health challenges and barely being able to get out of bed at some points and stuff like that but yet then go to work and show up and put a smile on your face and act like everything's okay it is there's nothing that's more exhausting than that so i think when i finally was able to get to a place where I felt really great and and kind of um, really be able to cope with mental health challenges and get to a place where I feel incredible. I part of that process was the opening up. That's what helped me get there. And I think for whatever reason, I was able to find the courage to open up and share my story. And I think I just feel like I never want anyone to have to 
you know, go through that exhausting, you know, covering it all up um, like I had to. And if I can have any, even a fraction of an impact on someone being able to come out and share their story, I mean, that's that fulfills me beyond, I think, what anything else on this planet can do because I know what it's like. And I also know that this is a global epidemic, you know. Um, I think it's it's the biggest threat to, to us, you know, like honestly. Um, because collectively our mental health is pretty broken right now and it's only getting worse. Yeah. So I just think it's such an important issue, man. And yeah. I feel like I can help. Yeah. Really feel like I can help. Because again, the only way we're going to normalize the conversation is if people start coming out and sharing and you know i hope that some people say well if kaylor can do it kaylor seems like a normal guy he's you know he's successful to a certain degree and so i can go out and achieve he believes he can go out and achieve all his wildest dreams why can't i yeah you know i think you hit on a really good point i think you know having a normal life and seeing like you have everything in place a lot of people have that front and then but behind closed doors they might have something that they're struggling with or they might be going through some serious issues but they cannot and will not you know share that because mm -hmm. of the embarrassment the fear maybe it's something you know it could be any of those things and um how do you think you know someone should approach you know, sharing it, you know, obviously you've had the courage to kind of share your story and kind of now you're building your own platform for others, but where would be the first step for someone who, you know, is going through some things and maybe they're not comfortable sharing it on, on platforms or even sharing it to anyone. Where do you think they should, you know, just obviously based on personal experience, where do you think they should start in that process? Yeah, it's a really good question, man, because I think I'm really, lucky to be an entrepreneur and i think for entrepreneurs and anyone who's self-employed it's a lot easier for us to come out and and share this because if you you know if you work at you know xyz corporation and you come out all of a sudden you say like you know i suffer from anxiety and depression or schizophrenia or bipolar you know, you say that on social media and one of your coworkers sees it, which is likely if you have social media. And then next thing you know, your boss finds out that you have, you know, mental health challenges. I'm not confident in saying that every boss out there is going to be empathetic enough to look at that and not, you know, maybe have it affect the relationship going forward or the way that they treat them going forward. So I think there's where I'm getting at is I think there's a huge element of risk to coming out because of the stigma and because a lot of people don't understand what it means to have mental health challenges. And um, I, yeah, I think there's a significant risk for some people and not everyone's as lucky as I am to be able to come out and share this and actually help it, have it help their career in some ways, uh, which was surprising to me because I always thought for a long time, and I should say that some entrepreneurs will still feel that same way because for a long time I thought, you know, I had a team for a long time with my gym and I felt like, 
there's no way I can come out and say I have mental health challenges. I'm supposed to be the rock. I'm supposed to be the leader. Now I'm going to be a liability Yeah. if I say that I have mental health challenges. So it's, it's a good question. It's tough um, to know how to do it. I think all I would say is start small. You know, like you don't have to, you know, I made this obviously it was for the mental wealth project. You know, I made this video is eight minutes long and, you know, it, we put a lot of work into it, but you don't need to do that. You know, it doesn't need to be that way for, for everyone. You can just start by telling your brother who you've never told before, you know, and start there. And then what will probably happen is you'll be surprised at how well it was received and then you know work on telling your best friend and then i think we get desensitized and and we also realize that people don't judge as much as we think and a lot of times people will have more respect for you because they know it's difficult to come out and say that and you know you might be surprised so start small like baby steps and then kind of go from there but it's unfortunate that we still have to be careful because some mm. people don't understand it and they just they'll think differently of you so that's that's a tough one yeah what would you i know we were again chatting about this a little bit before but you know we might have certain friends that just say hey man just get over that yeah. what would you say to you know people that don't go through certain challenges dealing with mental health how would you you know skeptics or people that don't really believe that you're really going through something like just get over it why don't you yeah. just be happy yeah what would you well, say so there's a lot of skeptics out there and i think the first thing i would say is i get it like i i can i don't get it as in i've been in that position personally but like i could see how if you've never really had mental health challenges to the point where it's affected your ability to lead a normal life you know, we all get depressed, we all get anxious, we all go through challenges, but a lot of people can just snap out of it very easily and just like, okay, I, I got a good life, I can move on. And, and I get how if you've never been through that, I get how you could look at someone whose their circumstances seem to be fine, they're alive, they have things they should be grateful for. I could see how they could look at someone like that who's saying that they suffer from depression, let's say, and look at them and be like, man, just like, there's so many reasons why you should be happy. Just be happier, put a smile on your face, like suck it up. Like, yeah, you know, I could, I could see that. So that's the first thing I say to skeptics is like, I get it. Um, but I think the second thing I would say, and I wish I made this up because it's genius, but I, I can't take credit for it, but I would say that Telling someone that they should be happy because there's so much to be happy about is like telling an asthmatic they should just breathe because there's so much air. Yeah. You know, like there is such thing as a broken brain. And I, I was telling you before, you know, a good example is like when you're in a state where you're not producing those hormones that make us happy, like serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin. And stimulant drugs, I think, are a really good example, right? If someone's on cocaine or MDMA, um, 
you either know personally because you've done it in the past or have known and heard about it, known people have done it and heard about it. But when you come off those drugs, your body, your dopamine receptors are so fatigued, you're not producing the serotonin levels like you should. Um, that's normal. Um, and you're just not charged up. You're really kind of low because those hormones are really suppressed. And I tell them, it's like, imagine living your entire life or even a hangover, by the way, with alcohol. Imagine living your whole life like you are hungover or you are coming off stimulant drugs. No matter how good your circumstances are, it's hard to be charged up because you're just you have no energy and you're just you're you're just not happy because there's a biochemical aspect to it. And that's the one that I've told them that a lot of them have been like, never thought of it that way. That's that's pretty. And I'm like, yeah, there's a biochemical imbalance in the brain that can happen. Now, I'm not a guy that thinks that it's solely biochemical and it's interesting because there's environmental factors and there's genetics yeah what's the analogy you said yes. more? <laughs> so there's a cool analogy that says um genes hold the gun environment pulls the trigger so i do believe it's kind of like the chicken and the egg thing it's like there's a biochemical aspect to mental illness where you may be more susceptible to it because you just don't have the genes. Like I said, even just with serotonin production, serotonin is one of our happy hormones and we all produce different levels of it. So, you know, there's some people who just don't produce a lot of it. And for whatever reason, it, there's a variety of reasons. So if you are susceptible to it and then you have environmental factors, maybe your dad was emotionally abusive to you growing up which created a subconscious belief system and thought pattern about yourself that's now ingrained into your literally your hardware of your thinking. Well, that's a combination that happens and it's a perfect storm. And then next thing you know, you have, they're giving you one of these fancy disorders and labels like you have bipolar, or, you know, manic depression or whatever. So that's, um, that's, you know, the analogy is, is there's genetics and there's, there's biochemistry and there's environment. And the funny thing is, is, you know, emotions and environment create and change the biochemistry because we can have a happy thought and that'll literally change the hormones that we produce. But then the hormones that we produce will also affect the thoughts that you have. So it's like the chicken and the egg. That's what I mean by the chicken and the egg thing. It's like, Yes, we can change our biochemistry by our thoughts because if we have a happy thought, we produce more serotonin. But if we're not producing enough serotonin, that can make us think bad thoughts. Like, yeah, you know, I think they both work synergistically and, and there's a debate on whether or not, like, is this just purely a disease from a bio, biological standpoint or is this a thought pattern issue and a belief system? I think it's both. Yeah. Personally. I think... I agree with you and obviously I don't know the, you know, the scientific backings and, and yeah. whatnot. I, but, um, just the way you brought it up, I think you bring good points on both ends. Mm -hmm. And I like the, you know, as you know, like you said in uh, beforehand, you know, North America has one of the highest rates of, you know, mental health challenges. Yeah. 
And it's funny because we were, you know, our parents are a lot, you know, a lot more harder and they've gone through a lot more things. You would expect that the previous generation or, I mean, our, our parents, my dad to, to, to be essentially messed up Mm -hmm. because they've gone through so many different challenges in their life that are way harder than me and you could ever kind of imagine. So I want you to speak on that a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's how soft essentially we are compared to our parents. Totally. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, um, I, I'm a big proponent. I think it's pretty clear that quality of circumstances and happiness are not congruent with each other. There's no correlation to that. In fact, I think the only correlation potentially might be that if our circumstances are too good, therefore then we do not get equipped with the tools to deal with adversity, which would in turn make us more mentally strong. So I think what we're seeing is that we're so comfortable nowadays in North America. We're so comfortable nowadays that we can completely avoid most discomfort in our lives. Uh, It's really easy to just hide behind our phones and, you know, live in our nice house and be warm all the time and have an abundance of food all the time. It's really easy to do that now. And then when shit hits the fan, when the inevitable suffering and adversity comes in our lives, we don't have the tools to know how to deal with it, right? And then we wonder why anxiety is so prevalent. We wonder why depression is so prevalent. Because our parents' generation and the generations before, man, they had no choice but to toughen up, you know? (laughs) They had no choice but to toughen up. Like literally, and I was telling you, like my grandpa jumped out of a plane as a paratrooper in World War II on the beach of Normandy to fight a battle and got shot in the knee with a grenade shrapnel while he was, you know, shooting a gun. And I can't even jump out of a plane because I'm afraid of heights. It's like I, I feel so soft when I think about our previous generations. And we are. Um, so... It's one of those things that I'm a big proponent of leaning into discomfort and fear. And one of the biggest things that's been uh, a factor in my transformation, getting to the point where I feel very mentally strong actually at this point is going through adversity. So I talk a lot about even cold showers. You know, I take a five minute cold shower every day. And even in this minus 30 weather in the last week, I was outside with my shorts and no shirt on doing five minutes of cold therapy, not because I love doing it at the time. It feels horrible. Every time I go to do it, it's really difficult. Um, I wake up at five or 6 a.m. every morning. I don't have to. That's really uncomfortable too. In fact, that's the hardest part of my day is when my alarm clock goes off. But when I consistently face that adversity every day, then when I go out into the real world and I have to have that difficult conversation with you know, an associate or with uh, someone important to me um, or I get that bill in the mail, that unexpected email that that is really unfortunate for my circumstances, it's not as hard, right? It's, I think there's, 
you know, really something to be said about leaning into discomfort. That is when growth happens. We, comfort's a drug. We, like, there's a survival mechanism in our brain that doesn't care about our happiness. It just wants us to survive. And what better way to survive than to continue doing what's got us here today? And it really will just avoid any discomfort like the plague because it doesn't know that the discomfort we have now is not life or death. It was for thousands and thousands of years, but now discomfort is like, I don't know what, what's discomfort like that we deal with today. It's like, I don't know. You sitting in traffic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sitting in traffic, you know, and, and our brains haven't been able to determine that that's not a life or death situation. We're still living like we're, this is the times we're living in this is like such a small fraction of history that we don't have to wake up and worry about dying every single day. Yeah. You bring such a good point. Yeah. How much does physical health correlate with mental? And I really wanted to ask you this because you are heavily prevalent in self-development and Mm -hmm. you know, you've been in the fitness industry for, for very long time. Mm -hmm. How is that correlated with your mental health personally? And with, I guess, people that you're, you've been around. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think they all work synergistically. I take a mind, body, spirit approach and I truly, man, I'll say this. I don't know anyone who is fully happy in their life. I mean, you know, or mentally strong, let's say, and also at peace. I don't know. And that might be the best way to describe it. I don't know anyone who has inner peace, who doesn't, cultivate and put attention and weight into mind body and spirit right i just think they all work synergistically and i don't think you can really have ultimate mental wealth like i call it um if you don't move your body you know if you don't respect it to a certain degree um and same with spirit like if you um don't believe that there's some sort of death whatever depth um whatever you believe in um there's so many varying aspects of spirit but if you don't believe there's some depth to what this all is you know it's i think it's really hard to be mentally strong and happy and fulfilled so and then again if you don't take care of your mind and you don't put attention into your mind, I know a lot of people who are really fit and look amazing, but they're very depressed, you know? So I just think they all work synergistically. And I know for me, um, specifically nutrition has been an absolute game changer. I would not be where I was. I don't know anyone who has a stricter diet than me. Um, I am very, anyone who knows me really well knows I'm the most annoying person to go to a restaurant with because I, or, or like even travel with, like I'm, you know, whoever ends up with me romantically too is like going to be a hero because they're going to be tolerating a lot of pickiness and I'm not picky like I, but I'm. Are you a vegetarian? No, no. Vegan? Nothing, nothing like that? No. You eat meat? (laughs) Of course I do. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone thinks that the only way to be healthy is be a vegan these days. Yeah. I was vegan for six months. Uh, 
Trust how did that me, go? it's not the most optimal diet for everyone. I'll tell yeah. you that. I probably, I've tried everything. You have, hey? Literally everything. You name yeah. a diet, I've tried it. Even the carnivore diet, which is eating nothing but, you know, <laughs> nose, I did it properly. Nose to tail carnivore. I was eating organ meats and everything. Wow. I've done every cleanse, detox. I've done paleo, ketogenic. I've done vegan. I've done everything. Wow. Uh, vegan was w- one of the ones that I felt the worst. And really? I was, yeah and i was so upset because i wanted it to be i wanted it to be the thing yeah you know and that's the thing with the vegan stuff is i'm not against vegan or vegetarian um i i think for us to say that it's the optimal human diet is that's a a bold claim because there's not a lot of evidence to say that you know uh meat in the diet is um is is really bad for you the problem is a lot of the studies around meat and stuff like that take people who are eating the standard american diet and they're eating industrially industrially raised uh you know meat that's you know literally a different kind of food than the type of meat i would eat let's say which is like grass-fed grass-finished pasture-raised organic beef or let's say yeah um those are two different kinds of food yeah so i think um we overconsume meat, no question. The way we raise meat is horrible. Uh, it is harmful to the environment based on the demand of meat. So I think the whole vegan and vegetarian thing has been good. Um, but yeah, to call it the optimal human diet is, uh, in my opinion, yeah, just not, not yeah. A, you know, at least from my experience. I've, I've always wanted to try it. You know, yeah. I haven't haven't tried it yet. Yeah. Just, just try it for a certain period of time just to just to see but. i think it's good i i i still go uh point like a week or whatever where i won't eat meat because it's a good just to kind of uh switch it up and yeah. and to go off of it for a bit what do you think of fasting oh game are you, changing are you like, game changing yeah yeah i regular i do intermittent fasting six days a week on average oh wow yeah okay. i eat within like a six to eight hour window um haven't had breakfast in years <laughs> wow yeah and uh, i do two to three day fasts pretty regularly as well too wow um fasting is incredible and the research that's coming out about fasting is is amazing yeah um the health benefits to it are, are incredible you know it's interesting every religion that's you know every religion kind of you know has fasting and so then if you look at our you know from a primal standpoint we've been fasting for thousands and thousands of years and it blows my mind bro that like we're so concerned about you gotta eat like oh it's so unhealthy to no like we are (laughs) overeating yeah like crazy stop worrying about people not getting enough food like we're good yeah people need to eat less like give your system a break like and the problem is, not the problem, but the thing is, is once you get used to the fasting, uh, you start to feel incredible. There is not a time where I feel more amazing than on the second or the third day of a fast. Just water, water and sea salt. I feel absolutely incredible. But if you take someone who has the standard American diet or whatever, and you just all of a sudden put them on like a two or three day fast, they're not going to feel good. No. You take a chain smoker or anyone who just smokes five to ten cigarettes a day and you tell them to just stop all of a sudden, 
even though that's a healthy choice, they're not going to feel good. Yeah. Right. Your body adapts to everything. It needs what it's used to. So it takes time to work up. And that's the problem I think is a lot of people just are like, well, I'm going to start fasting. And they're like, well, that wasn't for me. I was too, you know, well, the first time I stepped into a cold shower, I didn't say that's for me. You <laughs> yeah. know, like I was, it was brutal. Yeah. Um, the first time I worked out, it was hard. You know, you got to let your body adapt to things. And, and fasting is just incredible. There's a lot of research to suggest that doing like a four day fast, um, you know, quarterly or, you know, every once in a while, four to like seven days or whatever is potentially uh, getting to the point where it basically can starve a tumor because tumors need to grow and they feed off sugar and they also feed off like amino acids as well too which is protein yeah so um there's some evidence to reason you know and i i don't i'm not a scientist I, i'm not great at analyzing data and stuff like that this is just going off people who i find to be very credible and look at research you know they suggest that if we fast like that, you know, quarterly or once, twice a year, it may be able to even starve cancer cells because, you know, cancer uh, tumors can't grow if it doesn't have nutrients and, and stuff like that. So there's really promising stuff. And for the mental health stuff, I feel so much better cognitively when I'm fasting. Once my body is adapted to fasting and that took a while, it took like for anyone listening that's interested in fasting, Take baby steps. Yeah. Don't go into a four-day fast right away. As, as a Muslim, it's funny because I've been fasting yeah. since, God, I think 13 or 14, like yeah. the one-month fast. There's no food, no, no... Just eating at night, right? Just eating at night. Down, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, the first couple days of that month is hard. Yeah. But then after, after yeah, the three or four days, feel you feel great? fine. Yeah. Like it's not as... Like, I think usually where, because especially here, I think right now, Ramadan is a lot longer because of, because in the summertime here, the sun doesn't go down until like nine right. or 10 o'clock. So yeah, you can't right, eat right, right. Yeah. for 18 hours straight. You can't even have a yeah. sip of water. Yeah. Now replace that with no having some water. Yeah. Or, you know, with fluids. Sea salt. Yeah. yeah. Having it throughout the day. I'd be, it'd yeah. be so easy. I'd fly by it. For but sure. And um, the other thing yeah. too to mention is like, again, it takes a lot of prep. Like even if I do even a two or three day fast, I'm doing ketosis, like I'm in ketosis and I'm doing a ketogenic diet. I'm lowering my carbohydrate intake like seven days before to prep myself for the fast so that I feel good and it's not too much of a change. And then after I'm, you know, going into kind of a reverse outro of the fast kind of diet so it's like it's not as simple as just not eating there's there's a lot of prep that you know there's supplements that i take while i do it and stuff like that so yeah it's it's but i'm a huge proponent of it man i i i absolutely am it's been it's game changing yeah 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 i, I like that yeah i guess being an entrepreneur and i kind of i really like to pick a lot of entrepreneurs brains about this but being that you go through a lot of things and you're dealing with a lot of moving pieces, how do you keep yourself in a good mental state? And obviously that's, you know, you're going to go through the ups and downs, obviously. And for people listening, even if you're not an entrepreneur and you're going through 
all these up and ups and downs, the chaos of life. Mm-hmm. For yourself, Kaylor, how do you keep yourself in a zone or when you're going through the chaos, what kind of keeps you going? Yeah, I kind of have like eight key principles. Let's see if I can remember them here. But physical health, number one. Number two, meaning and purpose and having a strong sense of meaning and purpose. Number three, self-love. Number four, simplifying your life, keeping your life simple. Number five, being present and mindful. Um, And number six is fear. Okay, so facing your fear and um, and you know having the ability to um, lean into discomfort, like we talked about, relationships, cultivating relationships, social connection, and gratitude, being grateful. Um, those are the eight weeks that I have. I have a program that I take my clients through, and those are the eight foundational things that I think you need to put attention into in order to create again what i call mental wealth and you know again physical health is huge right because now are those in from top priority to i wouldn't say priority yeah but i i do them in that order because for example physical health if i see someone who is suffering and and going through a challenge the loss they're you know just going through a really hard time the quickest roi that we can get the thing that we can the thing that we can get them to do that will give them the quickest amount of energy is to just get them moving you know cut out the processed foods out of their diet lower your sugar intake uh, work on your sleep you know implement the sleep system that i have so you can get better sleep and regulate your circadian rhythm and stuff like that when you just work on the physical body then it's almost like you know it's kind of like having a car before you go on a road trip you know what are you going to do you're going to make sure the tires are filled up you're going to make sure the oil is topped up you got the windshield fluid like you're going to wash it you're going to make it look good like you're going to clean it like it's like this transformational journey is it's like a road trip and you gotta you gotta just get good physically so that's just an example of like that's why we start with physical health then meaning and purpose you know i think is the core of mental health and at least having a deep sense of meaning and purpose gives us the strength to really deal with the inevitable adversity and suffering of life um you know the uh victor frankel i don't know if you've heard of the book man's search for meaning have you ever i have heard of that yeah it's it's i think it's the bible of personal development and and mental health but you know he has a very simple saying basically that's I think it was uh, Victor Frankl, but he says, you know, he who has a why can bear any how. And that's kind of the way I look at meaning and purpose is like, if you find that thing that just lights your soul on fire and makes you jump out of bed in the morning and it makes you be able, I mean, gosh, Victor Frankl, for those who haven't read the book, you know, he was in a a, um, internment uh, in a a Jewish, uh, what do you call it? Why am I drawing a blank? Uh, uh, the Holocaust, the, yeah, the Holocaust, the camps, uh, 
um, Auschwitz. He was yes. in Auschwitz. Yeah. Yeah, the internment camps. Yeah. Or, there's another word for it that I'm blanking, but uh, he was in, I mean, you, you can't possibly think of a more uh, suffer suffering-ridden environment than like one of those camps. And he was able to get through that because he had a deep sense of meaning and purpose. And for some people, it might be sewing. For some people, it might be their daughter. For some people, it might be a podcast. Like, you know, whatever. It's like we need to find that thing that charges us up and when you have that clarity on what on why you exist why do you walk this planet and what do you bring to make this world a better place when you have clarity on that then when you get hit with a terminal illness that's what's going to make you carry it through it carry you through it when you even just hit a rainy day in your life it's just what will really get you through then again three is is self-love so you know we have to we have to love ourselves like we like love other people and honestly man most people it's crazy how much we value other people's opinions more than we value our own and it's crazy how much we will make sure that everyone is happy before we even look at you know ourselves and we need to build self-love the same way we build love with others we need to show up and and keep the promises that we make ourselves we need to talk to ourselves like we talk to other people you know yeah um and we don't do that enough yeah and then simplifying your life is so important presence mindfulness um being in the moment we're we're con you know they say that depression is dwelling on the past and anxiety is fearing the future so if you're anxious, you're living in the future. If you're depressed, it's because you're dwelling on the past. But the now, dude, there's magic in the now. Like the now is 99.9 repeated percent of the time, you're fine in the now. Like life is okay in the now. And if you can appreciate, you know, the way you're feeling, you know, the the smells, you know, what you're hearing, if you can just be in the moment, really again 99.9 percent of the time anxiety and depression don't exist in the now so if yeah. you can just find a way to be present then you're you're good and then again fear going back to the discomfort thing um we don't i i think that everything we've ever wanted in life or most of the things that we want in life is just on the other side of fear it's that difficult conversation that you're not willing to have and that you're avoiding that would just catapult you to where you want to get to, or it's, you know, it's whatever it's, it's booking that ticket to go to that place that you've always been, you know, fearful of and procrastinating. Seven is relationships. They did a study, a 75 year study at Harvard where they followed people for 75 years and they wanted to see what is it that has the biggest determined sorry the biggest effect on overall well-being on people they wanted to see like what is that main factor that we need to cultivate in our life that's highly correlated to just our overall well-being over a lifetime and they found that it was relationships and you know studies can be flawed and whatever but i mean i i think there's a lot of validity to that because you can mark, you know, they always say like, uh, 
a good gauge of a life well lived is how many people show up to your funeral. And I think that's uh, there's something to that, you know, and, and we are here to connect. And if we don't connect, I mean, think about this, man, you guys have the podcast, I have the mental wealth project, you know, we go on social media, you know, we go about our days, it's all surrounded and f- rooted in connection. That's all th- this isn't a podcast. This is connection with yeah. other people and your audience. So relationships and then gratitude. If we don't have the ability to um, just be grateful for what we already have. Um, and the research on gratitude is actually really fascinating. You know, we can't be fearful. We can't be depressed. We can't be anxious if we're f- experiencing gratitude. Those are just polarized. They can't be experienced at the same time. So if we can find a way to be grateful for what we already have, you know, it's uh, it's a powerful thing. So those are the eight things. And I know that's you asked like, okay, if someone's suffering or having a hard time, and I just said eight things, which are pretty complicated, but even if you can just replay this and go through, um, you know, those eight things and just see which areas out of all those eight things you can just start like physical health, maybe you just start, if you've been lacking on your workouts, maybe just, say for the next two weeks, I'm going to make it to the gym three times a week, you know, and I'm going to cut out that, you know, pop that I drink in the afternoon, like just start small and yeah. go from there. Um, and reach out to me on Instagram and we can chat. I'm more than happy to help, but, um, kind of a long winded answer, but that, that's truly what I would say. No, that's that, that, I mean, way to kind of wrap that up because that was that's really powerful man i think i think a lot of people that are listening to this will take a lot of value from that so i appreciate you you know you know sharing that um i like to ask one like we like to ask our our guests that we bring on like one question that kind of wraps everything up and that's what does the second floor mean to you now the metaphor of the second floor is you know striving to get to that next level you know, in your life, whether that's through business, whether that's through relationships, whether that's through life in general. Mm-hmm. So in your life, Kayla, what does that mean? What is going to that next level mean? Or what does that, what does the second floor mean? Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, transforming my life to get to a point where I can unlimit you know, it, it's almost unlimited the amount that I can give back to the people I care about the most. And, you know, they always say that cliche saying, when you get on a plane, they talk about the oxygen mask coming out. And, um, you know, they say that you got to put your oxygen mask, if you have kids, you got to put your oxygen mask on first, and then put it on your kids. And, it's a cliche kind of analogy, but I tell my, it always gets brought up with my clients when we talk about their lives, because there's a lot of people out there that are just trying to put their oxygen masks that they have available on everyone else. And they're forgetting about themselves. I've been putting my oxygen mask on me for quite a while now. And, you know, I'm almost at, I'll never be at a hundred percent, but I'm getting, getting there 
and uh, I'm feeling really good about it and I just can't wait and this is what the second floor is for me is I can't wait to just have the biggest freaking oxygen tank that I can just go around to all the people that are starving for oxygen and just boom you know just absolutely put it on hopefully millions of people you know and that to me is is the second floor is I'm finally at a point where I feel like, you know, I'm breathing in a lot of that oxygen and I can now go out and like I said, hopefully million, uh, millions of people that I can, you know, help get more oxygen because I, I just think a life of service is a life of, um, of happiness. If you really kind of approach it that way and just helping people, man, a lot of people need help and, I was somehow lucky enough and I'm so grateful. I was lucky enough to have the tools to be able to, to break through that for the most part. And, uh, I think it's only anyone who's been in that position responsibility to give it back to others now, you know, cause there's people that helped me along the journey too. So that's my second floor. Damn. That was one of the best answers we've had on the show. Come on, man. I'm I'm telling oh, you, man. man. Yeah. That's, so I hope I hope you're not just saying that because that 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 means a lot, man. That's, no, that's seriously, cool. that was for me. That was one of the best. So cool. honestly, Kayla, I appreciate you coming on. Of course. Um, and last thing I want to leave with is where can people find your yeah. projects? Where can people find you personally if they want to reach out? Maybe plug those in right now. Yeah, I, I want to try and keep it simple because I could definitely blurt out a few because I got the Mental Wealth Project and then I got me personally. I think if I want to simplify it, uh, I would say let's maybe just focus on Instagram. That's kind of where myself and the Mental Wealth Project are the most active. You can find me at Kaler.bets on Instagram. You can find the Mental Wealth Project at Mental Wealth Project on Instagram and DM us like, you know, DM us. We, we, we love that. I love that. Um, and I guess lastly, you can go to the mentalwealthproject.com and you can enter in your name and email and you get subscribed to our newsletter and we call it mental wealth weekly. Uh, and it comes out every week and you'll just stay tuned to what we got going on and, and stuff like that. And then uh, I guess lastly, I got to mention the podcast, Mental Wealth Podcast, and uh, you can find us iTunes, Spotify, and uh, that's a, a fun place to to follow our journey as well too. So, absolutely. So, guys, you heard it. Make sure to go follow Kaler and his projects, dude. This was a great conversation, man. I really enjoyed this, and I really took a lot of value for myself. So awesome, man! I hope um, I hope the listeners got got some stuff too. So yeah, I, so. I think they did, man. You led the conversation very well. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks okay. for uh, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me.